Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Boyery, and as always, I'm with second-generation plate tectonic researcher, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all our listeners who stepped up to sponsor this podcast for nearly 100 episodes. You can, too, by joining as a sponsor of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Please go to patreon.com and be a sponsor, too. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now, let's get to it. Most people know that plate tectonics is about the top layer of the Earth floating on the molten layer below. And no, there's no way that you can bore a hole through to the center of the Earth, no matter what Jules Verne tried to tell us. This is why we once had a supercontinent, right, Pangaea, that once saw South America fitting into Africa. And that's really this most simple explanation (laughs) of this important, very important topic. Well, actually, we've had many different continents over time. When we try to put together the plate tectonic history going back, we can see sometimes we have multiple continents like we have now, or just in the immediate past where we had Pangaea, one big continent that had all of the parts of the Earth that were above sea level. What's a continent? It actually is a part of the Earth's crust that's lighter and therefore floats up and stays above sea level compared to oceanic crust, which is denser, therefore heavier, therefore sinks down a little bit and goes below sea level. And those continental pieces just get carried around and sometimes they run into each other and sometimes they don't. But those continents aren't actually the plates. The plate boundary doesn't equal the continent. Absolutely. So the continents are just those slightly lighter pieces that rise up above sea level. But the plate is some section of the Earth's crust. And some of them, like the Pacific plate, are really large, and some of them are microplates, and they move around compared to each other, carried by some sort of currents going on in the deeper, what we call a stenosphere, the mantle part that has a little bit of molten rock in it, a little bit hotter, and allows things to flow. So you can have plates that don't line up with continental boundaries. And so as the shift happens over the millennia, right? Or is it thousands, millions, millions? Millions of years. Let's go with millions. Millions of years beyond our lifetime. Those continents still remain connected to the plate or they could sort of cross plates? No, the continents are part of the plate. They're just passively carried around. You know, when we talk about the original idea of plate tectonics and you hear about continental drift and Alfred Wengener, He saw that the continent of South America fit really well with the geology of the continent of Africa and wanted them to somehow have once been together. He proposed a rather crazy thing that the continents pushed their way through the oceans to move apart, which since the continents are lighter and weaker than the oceanic crust, really couldn't happen. Plate tectonics showed us that these lighter continental pieces are sort of passive passengers as the plates form. And they move because sometimes we create new plate, which is in mid-ocean ridges, places where the deeper mantle comes up and forms new crust. And some places they get destroyed, which is the subduction zones where the old crust is now colder and therefore harder and denser, and it moves back down into the earth. And then we also have what we call transform boundaries where they move past each other. So when we look at these plates that are moving always in over millions of years, why does it matter? I think people listen to our podcast, Lucy, they want to get some information they can apply to the issues that they see in the natural world around them. 
Why does it matter if it's happening well below our surface in such a small time frame? As a scientist, the deep fundamental what matters in life, plate tectonics is how we have atmospheres and oceans. Okay. Okay. Originally explain yourself. Explain <laughs> yourself. How does atmosphere, something that's not related to the actual Earth itself, it's above, and oceans, how's that related to plates? Go back to the beginning of the Earth. We're talking like 4.7 billion years ago. We accrete a bunch of space debris that has a lot of different things in it. It has iron, it has silica, it has water, it has oxygen, etc. And they all accrete together, and that starts bringing gravity into play. Heavier pieces like the iron or the nickel want to move towards the center, and the lighter pieces tend to move up. We actually think that somewhere about a billion years after original formation, there was something we call the iron catastrophe, where the Earth separated into different layers. And if you look at what the Earth is, the Earth does include the atmosphere. Those are the lightest pieces of the Earth, and they're farthest away from the center. Then you have the water, which is the next layer down. Then you have your rocks based on silica and oxygen, which tend to be somewhat lighter. And then you have the iron core, which is the heaviest part deepest down in. And plate tectonics is the continuing process of those pieces moving with respect to each other, as happened in the original iron catastrophe, and as continues to happen, getting gases out into the atmosphere, et cetera. So how does that create an atmosphere? We aren't quite sure at the beginnings of it, but we do know that every time we have a volcanic eruption, we have a lot of gases that are released. So we actually think that the original atmosphere was somewhat noxious and there tended to be not much oxygen because otherwise you'd be exploding things. So you had carbon dioxide and various ways in which the oxygen connected with other things. Plants formed, changed the carbon dioxide into oxygen, which then allowed animals to be able to be there and absorb the oxygen and produce carbon dioxide. All of those cycles go together. And it's an ongoing process from random space debris into the highly evolved separated system that we have now. And plate tectonics continues to keep these processes going. As we talk about this process over millions, billions of years, and we do have a full episode on geologic time, and I encourage everyone that's interested to go search that and listen to that one. Can you give some of the examples of things that we now know were part of ancient continents or I say ancient, you know, right. humans, term. they're ancient, yeah. Yeah, ancient. before us, <laughs> before us, right. That, that somehow gives us greater evidence that this is a cycle that's happening and it will happen again. That's what was so exciting about plate tectonics is there were all these different things that geologists would observe in the earth or geophysicists would model about the earth or geochemists would analyze about the earth. And plate tectonics provided a theory that showed how they fit together, which gives us the ability to predict for other locations. For instance, one of the big things that plate tectonics gave us was fossil fuels. Originally, we discovered them. Los Angeles, we started pumping out oil in 1910, 1920. At that point, Los Angeles actually had more oil per square mile than anywhere else in the world. We pumped a lot of that out at this point. We sort of stumbled on it. Well, with plate tectonics, we were able to come up with a model of why this was a geologic setting that would lead to development of oil. Plate tectonics, subduction zones, bring surface materials down into the earth that includes biological materials, and they then get deformed and pressurized and turned into oil. And then that oil wants to come back up and dissipate. Methane goes up into the atmosphere. Well, unless you can trap it under faults, which are places where because of motion over thousands of years, you have a denser material that tends to trap these fluids from moving around. 
So the type of situation that makes an oil field, we can now say when plate tectonics happens and you get this type of situation around a subduction zone, this is a place where you can go to find oil. People went out to find it that way, and guess what? They found it. You know, the best <laughs> proof of a theory is that it works to get you something new that wasn't the original source of that. The other thing is our mountains. We have really different types of mountains. Just look here in the United States. We have Cascadia. The Cascades are all volcanic, where they're mostly basalt. They're growing right now. We have the Sierra Nevada, which is mostly granite, which is the core of an old volcanic system. But this is now was deeper and it's now been brought up. Or you go to the Appalachians, which is a much deeper core. When we study the Appalachians and look at what type of pressures and temperatures must have been there to form the rocks that we see, we realize that they must have, at one point, been as tall as the Himalayas. And so as you put the plate tectonics together, we can see the Appalachians are the suture zone from a previous continental collision before we had Pangaea. So what's also interesting here is that the plate tectonics controls geologic formation, which also controls atmospheric conditions as well. So Lucy, as we think about the natural hazards that are related, connected, and understood because of plate tectonics, and we'll get to earthquakes in just a moment, is there something else you want to share about plate tectonics? Well, this is one of the coolest things that I found is that you can actually attribute the location of tornadoes to the plate tectonic systems. Because tornadoes happen when you get warm, humid air colliding with cold, dry air. And the cold, dry air comes over northern parts of continents, and the warm, humid air is going to come from some sort of ocean farther south or closer to the equator. If you go look at Asia, for instance, where most of the mountains run east-west, that tends to keep the tropical moisture from hitting up against the cold, dry continental air. In the United States, on the other hand, we have basically north-south running mountains, and you get Tornado Alley is the space between the Rockies and the Appalachians where you funnel up the warm, humid air from the Gulf of Mexico to hit the cold, dry air coming down from Canada. And it's because of this, as we had in a previous episode, that the United States is number one in the rate of tornadoes, and that's actually resulting from our plate tectonics. Let's go to the most obvious relationship here, natural disasters as it comes to earthquakes and plate tectonics. The plate boundary is a very special place where two plates are moving together, either beside each other, across each other, below or under. You sort of described that at the beginning when we talked about subduction zones or things of that nature. What's the impact on our earthquakes because of the plates? I think the most important thing to remember is we have more earthquakes near the plate boundaries, but it's not the only place that we have earthquakes. And people often confuse plate boundaries with faults. They're not the same thing. Plate boundaries are the area within the surface of the Earth where you have relatively coherent motion outside of the plate boundaries in the plates, and those pieces of the rock move together, and at the plate boundary, they're moving past each other, and there's much more deformation going on. But a plate boundary is not a fault. You're going to have more earthquakes at the plate boundaries, but you have them outside of there as well. So think of the plate boundary as the place where most of the earthquakes happen, the deformations are going by, and the faults are features within the plate boundary, the surfaces on which the earthquakes actually happen. So there isn't like a line that says this is the plate. It's this area where the plate boundaries exist, and it intersects with itself so that one plate and another are interacting, but it's not quite a, quote, straight line. Right. Well, none of them are clean, I think is the better way to put it. 
So we often defined the San Andreas as being the plate boundary for North America and the Pacific Ocean, but only about two thirds of the relative motion between those two plates happens on the San Andreas. And the rest is distributed over about 100 miles in each direction. So we have the San Jacinto Fault, we have the Basin and Range, we have a lot of other structures that are part of the plate boundary. Now, the other thing people think is that the biggest earthquakes only happen at the plate boundary. And that's only sort of true. Remember, the length of the fault is what determines the size of the earthquake. We have faults long enough for magnitude sevens in Oklahoma, well away from any plate boundary. We've seen magnitude sevens well away from the plate boundary in South Carolina in the 19th century, in India just a decade or two ago. The one thing you can say is without a plate boundary, and not just a plate boundary, but a subduction zone boundary, you can't have a magnitude nine. The only places we have faults big enough to give us magnitude nines are on the subduction zones, which are plate boundaries. Well, we could go on for a lot longer on this topic, but we're going to leave it there for today. So until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. 